This is the Asade Podcast Channel. Audio pills to get inspired. Uh, this presentation takes place because I have had the honor, I will say, to receive the, the Teaching Excellence Award that I really appreciate a lot, I would say. So uh, when they were preparing the research day, they, uh, they invite me to come and I, I asked them, well, what do you really want from me? And the answer was, what, what we really will appreciate if, if you can share some of the things that you do in class and it looks like they really work. Um, if someone doesn't, doesn't know me yet, my name is Pernar. I am assistant professor, associate professor at the economics department. And well, I work a lot, that's clear. Mainly we'll say I teach economics one and economics two. So these are introductory courses. Usually economics one is an introduction to microeconomics. So trying to understand how the markets work, uh, incentives, some game theory. And then I sometimes teach also Econ 2, and Economics 2 is more an introduction to macroeconomics. Uh, what I think is interesting is that I teach students that they have a really different profile. Uh, I teach students in the BBA, so Bachelor in Business, and they have some level of maths. But I also teach uh, students that are doing the global governance and law, students for the double degree, and law students. And law students, in general, they feel less comfortable when you are doing economics. So many times the question is, there are, some, there are many numbers in your class because we study law, so are you going to use lots of numbers? So I have been making an effort year by year, try to see how can I approach some concepts to different students' profiles. Um, now, uh, as I said, well, I think it shouldn't be necessary to explain why to teach economics to these students, because for me it looks so passionate. You, you can talk about different market structures analysis, or strategic behavior, or incentives. All of that is microeconomics. And then you have, in terms of macroeconomics, you can talk about economic cycles, or macroeconomic imbalance. So everyone should be interested in that. Um, when they were asking me, what do you think works when you are teaching, I thought that there are four things. And today, just because of the amount of time that we have, I am going to concentrate just in two of these. I just want to say something that I think is really important. I have said as the four question to, to think, remember that for them it's always, all, always the first time. So I was trying to count one day how many times I have explained, I don't know, price elasticity. A probably is hundreds. But every time you go to a classroom, you must think that for them it's the first time. No matter how many times you have done it, they never. And if you have the thought before to enter into the class, I think that helps a lot. So if you look at these four points, I just want to concentrate on a couple of them. I said, consider your audience interest and combine different approach, as Marcel was explaining. So for the first one, Always consider your audience interest. So I was thinking, what I can do in this show presentation? And I was thinking, well, how do I approach to explain price elasticity to law students? And th this is going to be the example. OK, I imagine that uh, everyone knows that price elasticity is a measure of how sensitive the demand, the quantity demanded to changes in prices. And you have two formulas. So you can start the class by writing you two formulas, but you will see some students, especially when you are teaching law, this is, this is first year students 
just uh, not leaving the classroom because they can't, but uh, something quite near. So this is the approach. They are used, they're going to study many laws. So why don't try to do that looking to a law? You probably know that now in Catalonia, I think it's from yesterday, there is a tax that is applied on sugar drinks. Okay, the same has been applied from, I think, 2013 at, in Mexico, and United Kingdom government has decided to apply a tax on added sugar and drinks from, I think, it's next year. But this is a website when the UK government explained the tax. So this is for, I would say, general audience, and you, I can use that with my, my students. So this is like a general information. If you just read this information, so let's go and imagine that you still have not explained to them what is spice elasticity, it says, okay, uh, in the information they say, this is not a tax on consumers, okay? The government is not increasing the price of products. But then says, companies don't have to pass the charge on their customers. Okay, if it's question, why not? If we are talking about price elasticity, and there is later on a comment on this is good for the health of individuals, they are thinking that applying this tax is going to be good for health. Okay, I was thinking, what are the market shares? I think this is for the United States. You can see what is the market share of the traditional Coke. I think this is diet and Coke Zero. So you can see that the traditional Coke is still really important in terms of the market share. So now is the question. Let's go and imagine that still I haven't introduced to my students the concept of price elasticity. I'm just talking about that United Kingdom government wants to apply a tax. If you have read what, not the law, because this is not the law, what the general information provided to the public says, it says companies shouldn't increase the price on the customer. The question is why not? If your customer really wants to drink Coke, he's gonna drink Coke equally, even if you just add to the price, I don't know, I think it's like eight cents in a can, something like that. So this is a first reflection. You have this tax. If you apply the tax to the final price, how consumers they are gonna act. These days, in the Sade Claustro, uh, in a meeting that we have uh, talking about John Surya, we were talking about values. Again, you always have opportunities to introduce uh, the values debate. Because in this case, you can think, okay, what's the responsibility of the firm? If they know that they are selling a product, and at least number says that there is a high correlation between added sugar and some health problems. So there is always scope for this kind of debate. Now, let's go and imagine that we consider just for a second that companies are just trying to maximize their profits. Now, what they will do with this uh, tax? One option is to, to, to apply this tax into the final price, but that would depend on what? On how sensitive as consumers, so students can start to think about that. Um, then, one more thing. This is slightly different from elasticity, but this is also something they have considered. Is the company making the same profit selling a can of Coke or selling a 
a can of Diet Coke, because, because if the company is not making the same profit, that will maybe also affect what is the decision. And now one interesting point. Let's go and imagine that, now I am explaining that, but you leave the students to say what they think, so you have a debate about those issues. One thing that we must not forget is that when we are talking about economics, this is a social science. So at the end, it's a science. And if you have a science, you have a hypothesis, you have theory, but you need to check them. So as far as I know, one of the first countries that applied this tax was Mexico. Okay, some facts that I didn't know that is a part of a press is that this is the country, Mexico, where the per capita intake is higher, but also is one of the countries with highest proportion of people with obesity and diabetes type 2. So in 2013, uh, under the recommendation of the uh, World Health Organization, they apply a tax that is near to, let's gonna say, I think it's around 10% of the price. So the price of a can of Coke or a bottle of uh, juice that has some added sugar increased 10%. Now, just looking at this, it says that, I think this is a British medical journal. So they were sitting a journal with, uh, it is quite famous. They, they have a sample of uh, 6,000 household, but this is with, with your students in the first year. So. But at the end you say, okay, these people found that applying a tax that increased the price in at 10% led to a reduction in 10% in the consumption. No, sorry. 10% increase in price, a reduction of 6%. So this is an inelastic because it is a change in price. Quantity was, uh, the, quant the quantity dropped, but not as much. But now, if you really think about things, there are, there are more questions that you can use just with this simple introduction. This is a simple introduction, but there are many things that you can do with it. Now, one says that this drop uh, accelerate over time. Why? Because when we react, it's, it, it's not the same as reaction if we consider a short period of time or a long period of time. So when you are teaching economics, you try to teach students that price elasticity is not the same in the short run and in the long run. For instance, in housing market, it is very usual to discuss the supply because supply is quite inelastic in the short run. If you give time, that will increase. Now you have here some evidence. So you can use this piece of text as a way to discuss price elasticity and time. But this is not the only thing that you can do. If you just read that carefully, then it says that when they were studying the drop in sugar added drinks, the percentage of drop was different depending on the socioeconomic conditions of people. So again, probably your price elasticity has some kind of relation with your level of income. So you can think about how th there is not a price elasticity. We have different price elasticity. So you can also include that in this discussion. Uh, it's important to notice that all these discussions about price elasticity is done with the students that are just in the first year and is first time they have ever, some of them, they have not done economics before. So this is a kind of approach. Obviously, when you are doing that in class, after that you use your formulas, you do some numerical exercise, you go to a more, I will say, classical approach. But this kind of introduction, at least my experience says that, for instance, with two students, work really well. And then understanding that, 
will help you to understand it finally, this tax will help to really reduce obesity or diabetes type 2 by reducing consumption because again will depend on how people react. So this is more than, okay, maybe you are never going to work in economics but you are going to vote for a political party, you are going to go to elections, so you must understand that. When they were saying this is going to help to reduce obesity, to what extent this is true? So I think that's good piece of information for them. Uh, now, something different. Um, I am not involved directly in any, let's going to say, student first experience, but with uh, Professor Sayeras, we try to do something, something different, something new with our students, uh, and it also help giving us some, some advice on that. This is what we did. Okay, double degree is a good group to work with because usually they are really good students. The average uh, entry mark is higher than in other programs, so usually they are well motivated. And there is a slightly small group, so around 60. And okay, numbers matters. So what was the approach in this sense? Okay, with these students, they are in the second year, so they are doing Econ 2, and this is macroeconomics. So our approach was they have 4.5 hours a week. One day they have three hours, and for these three hours, it was the classical approach. So I was just lecturing, just like now, talking, talking, talking. And then we were doing uh, numerical exercise, and we were doing, I will say, quite uh, the syllabus that you will probably find in any book. So an introduction to uh, macroeconomics, an introduction to some models, like the Keynesian model, and later on the ISLM. But one day a week, uh, we have one slot of 1.5 hours. And we didn't teach. We split the students in groups of five. And what we did is we just did one introduction one day. They were working in class time. And we divide them in groups of five. And then what we did is we selected a group of macroeconomic indicators from Eurostat. Our first idea, I will explain later, later on why, was to select indicators that we think have relation with consumption. For instance, your consumption will depend on your salary. So there is a, a survey of earnings structure in the Eurostat that would be useful. Or your consumption will depend on the demographic structure of uh, the population. So we also use uh, a demographic indicator. Now, one important thing, and I will explain why, is we pick indicators that I will say they are not the most common ones. So we try to avoid, we, we did some mistakes, but I will take later on. <laughs> but we try to avoid to use GDP per capita or inflation. Why? The reason I think, well, this is Sayeras, he's not here, but he is a really part of the project. Uh, so some, these are some of the indicators. So people at risk of poverty or social exclusion, private debt to GDP, the consumer surveys, or the structure of earnings, as I was mentioning. Okay, this is what we asked to them. They should read from Eurostat the definition of the indicator. And we weren't explaining that. They, they need to read it, and if they have questions, they, they need to try to solve by them. And we will, all the time, this one and a half, all the time, you know, going to one group to the other group, just discussing with them. But always asking questions more than answering questions trying that they are the ones that need to learn. 
Now, we also learn from mistakes. One difficult part is that we ask them to look at the methodology of the indicators. And with some indicators, even for me, it was really, really difficult to understand the methodology. So you must be really careful because those are students that they have, they, they, they have done, I think, one term of statistics, and I think they even do it later after, after having asked. So we must be careful on that. But now comes the part that explains why we were asking not, so I will say, usual indicators that GDP per capita. The work was, the, the idea of the project was they need to learn. And what we want is that they have analytical skills. This is what we want to develop. Not just looking for information, to analyze information. So for us, one important part of the project was, okay, now you take this indicator. And one really important part of the project is, you are gonna say to me, what are the bias that our indicator has? So what are the problems? What are the advantage and disadvantage of these indicators? And there are, these are indicators that if you put them in Google, you're not gonna find advantage and disadvantage. You probably need to look a lot, and you probably need to work by yourself. And we weren't so worried about if they were right or wrong, obviously, slightly, but to get them involved in the process of doing this analysis. Now, apart from finding the bias, the advantage and the disadvantage, we say, okay, now, uh, this is a project that we did this year, the first term. So we say to them, okay, you go to Eurostat and look on the data for the last 10 years. And then you take the data for Spain, you take the data for Germany and you compare them. And if there is difference, you must do write a hypothesis about what? and explain to us, what do you think this indicator has show a different pattern for those two countries that are in the same economic area? So that was interesting. Now, the last thing we asked them is, how do you think, if you're in a private company, because many of these students are gonna, at the end, be working in a business, and for us it's important that they understand how economics can be used. So we asked them how this indicator could affect the level of consumption. If you see this formula of the GDP, so consumption, investment, public expenditure, this year we were uh, working with consumption, but our idea is next year to ask them to work with indicators that are related to investment. And the following year, indicators that are related to public expenditure. Uh, we don't have sponsors either. <laughs> we don't have much money either. So what we promised to them, okay, in this case, it wasn't, do you want to participate? You must participate because that was 40% of the mark. So uh, it's, a, it's a good incentive. But we promised to the students that if the work was to a certain quality, it was enough, enough quality. In the future, we want to produce a book and they will be co-authors. So there are gonna be several indicators in this book. To be honest with you, there are like, I think it was 14. Four were really good. Some of them were acceptable. Some of them I cannot put that into a book for, you know, <laughs> new students that are going to come because it wasn't good enough. But I think this is a, a good combination between, uh, between the more classical learning and, and, and this approach. Um, and it's a process that we are still doing. There are several things that we have asked ourselves. For instance, uh, the division of the groups. Should students decide who they want to work with or us? In this case, we decide who they want to work with. And there is a peer evaluation that uh, they 
they can express their opinion about the other members and we use that as a way to moderate uh, to moderate the final marks okay uh, well that was two examples I think it was good some students really enjoyed the experience and some surprised us for instance one group of students they write one email to a guy that works in Eurostat and Italian that was responsible for one indicator they give an answer and he they weren't happy with the answer so they write second mail and I think that the Italian research at Eurostat at the end sent to them like three pages of methodology but then they can say okay that's to you when they were doing demographics one group came to us and said, you know what in Germany uh, males and females don't are not 100% of the population I don't have no idea about that apparently there are three countries on the world that rec they recognize the existence of a third sex that is not defined when they are born according to you know natural characteristics so this was something that we were expecting but they found that and then they were working on that because they find it so interesting but it was okay for us as far as they were really learning and well there is a couple of more things but I think it's probably a good moment to let you time for asking questions or or so if you want to ask anything you're more than welcome thanks for listening Isade inspiring futures 